0: 5. Matthew chapter 5 tonight. We've been working our way through at least the first portion of Christ's Sermon on the Mount and looking at the Beatitudes. And tonight we come to verse number 7. Matthew chapter 5 verse number 7 in a message that I've titled, No Mercy. K-N-O-W. No Mercy. So tonight we come to the fifth step of on the ladder of spiritual maturity, the fifth beatitude in Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And step by step, we've been ascending up this ladder. And hopefully, we've been learning a thing or two and about ourselves in the process. As much as we've been ascending, going up, We've also been descending, going down. Each step we take going up the ladder, we're increasing in spiritual maturity. And each step we take going down the ladder, we're submitting ourselves a little more before God. As Christ was delivering a powerfully convicting message about the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, He had this to say with regards to spiritual maturity and humility. Listen to what he said. He said, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be not ye called Rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. There's certainly a lot for us to learn here because we live in a world where self-promotion, self-glorification is encouraged and humility is treated as weakness. Christ tells us that the only way up Is to first go down. Exaltation comes first through humiliation. The path of spiritual maturity, he says, starts with humility. Becoming more like Christ requires us to be emptied of ourselves so that we can actually be filled with him. And what we see, therefore, is that whether you look at it from the standpoint of ascending up the ladder or descending down the ladder, the entire ladder rests upon the grace of God because grace is what holds every step in place. So as we look at this this fifth beatitude, we see that mercy is the product of the previous four. Again, notice what it says here in verse number seven of Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. Mercy is the product of the previous four steps in the ladder, the previous four beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So as the believer has understood the poverty of his own spirit, as he's mourned over that horrible spiritual condition, as he's come before God in meekness, as he's now actively hungering and thirsting to be filled by God, mercy is what is produced. Now, this isn't mercy in the human sense where people all across the world demonstrate with each other, but a much higher sense of mercy that is only taught through the Holy Spirit. Now, most of us have a a pretty good idea of what mercy is, and don't point to the woman over here. Um, That's mercy saying, or anyone wondering. But, for the dictionary uh, defines the word this way. The dictionary defines mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone Whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. That's how the dictionary defines it. I think a better definition for the biblical term is found in in Vine's Expository Dictionary, which states this. It says that mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. So in other words, mercy is not anything that is deserved. Mercy, it is to withhold something that we do deserve in a negative way. It is having compassion on those who don't deserve compassion. It is having compassion on those who haven't earned compassion. Growing up, And maybe some of you all can attest to something similar to this. But growing up, no one in my family wanted to ever play Monopoly with me because they said I was merciless playing Monopoly. Honestly, I don't know of any other way to play Monopoly. The whole point of the game is to bankrupt everyone. But I was too merciless playing Monopoly, so no one wanted to play with me. Anytime we had a game night, I was saying, let's play Monopoly. And everyone would say, not a chance. Not a chance. Because, you know, they, they land on my property and expect me to show them some mercy, some compassion. You know, well, how about I get you next time? How about you pay me right now? How about you go and mortgage all your properties and pay me the $2,000 for landing on Boardwalk with a hotel? I'm sorry. You did not make it to go. You did not get to collect $200. Give me my money. And, and unfortunately, people learned really quickly that they either opted to deal with the, the merciless version of me or they just don't play at all. And most of the time, we never played at all. So, um, Just the way it goes. I have some wonderful memories of playing Monopoly, but I'm the only one that shares those memories. I refuse to show compassion. I refuse to take pity on those who didn't have enough money to pay rent this time around. And, you know, tough. I want to win the game. So go and play a game where everyone wins because Monopoly was my game to win. And if it meant showing no mercy, you better believe I was going to show no mercy. So maybe if you grew up with me, you don't know what mercy is, but hopefully the rest of you do. But as we take a closer look at what the Bible has to say about mercy, I want you to notice, first of all, who are the merciful? Who are the merciful? Look again at what it says in verse number 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, at the beginning of the series, I mentioned that the Beatitudes had nothing to do with how a person is saved but it has everything to do with what a saved person should look like. These are the qualities, these are the characteristics of what should be present in you if you're a believer. It has nothing to do with how you're going to get saved. It has everything to do with what your life should look like once you're saved. Now, each of these Beatitudes, they essentially then, they act as a sign of the grace of God in the life of the believer. If you have these things, if they're present in your life, then you're evidencing to the rest of the world that you're a believer. Therefore, it would be incorrect of us to say, that for any person to obtain mercy, they must be merciful. Now you're probably thinking, wait a second, now bear with me. It would be incorrect of us to say for any person to obtain mercy that they have to first be merciful. The truth is that every single person, saved or not, has already obtained mercy. Every single person has already obtained mercy. The unbeliever, by virtue of his very existence, has obtained mercy from God because it is only due to God's mercy that he is still alive and breathing. Now, in case you're doubting me, go back and read Lamentations chapter 3. The believer has also obtained mercy from God, but much more so than the unbeliever. He receives the same mercy that the the unbeliever receives because it is only by the mercies of God that that we are still around, that we're not consumed, Lamentations 3 says. But the believer has also received God's mercy in that he never has to suffer God's eternal wrath for sin. He never has to There is no hell for the believer because it is all done and paid for on the shoulders of Jesus Christ who bore every single sin for all of us. And through faith in him, we never have to deal with that. So no matter how you look at it, long before any of us were ever merciful, so we're ever showing this to any other person, we had already obtained mercy from God. For the believer... Before the full promise of Matthew 5, verse 7 was made to them that they should obtain greater mercy, which is the idea that we're seeing here, they had already received immense mercy from God. For the poor in spirit, it is no ordinary mercy for us to be emptied of our pride, to be brought so low to see how undeserving we are, all of us in the sight of God but how necessary it is for people to realize their true condition before God and know that they have obtained mercy at the foot of the cross. For those who mourn, they recognize the great mercy they have from God as really they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed at the price that our Savior has paid for their salvation. The fact that he bore our sin. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. And they're mourning over that. They know that it was because of us, because of every single one of us, that Jesus went to the cross and suffered God's eternal wrath for sin. So they mourn over that. For the meek, they understand the great mercy they have received as their proud hearts are brought low and they bow themselves before the one who loved them and gave himself for them. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they seek to be filled so that they may obtain more of God's mercy. As much as they've appreciated what they've received already, they are just hungering for more of it. And out of that, desire grew the character of being merciful. So in every way, the believers who are characterized by the Beatitudes have already obtained mercy. They have always been the objects of mercy, and the fact that they go on to display mercy to others is an inevitable result of what has been done to them and in them through the working of the Holy Spirit. They weren't merciful because they were naturally tender-hearted or compassionate, but because they mourned over their condition and because they were comforted. They weren't merciful because they sought the praise of men, but because they were meek and desired to enjoy the blessings of heaven as they do. They weren't merciful for no reason, but because they hungered and thirsted after righteousness and desired to be filled with more of God. So who are the merciful? Um, But second, I want you to notice what being merciful includes. What being merciful includes. Look again at what it says there in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, there are several aspects of this that I'd like you to see. And first of all, being merciful includes showing kindness to those that are in need. Being merciful includes showing kindness to those that are in need. No merciful person can ever neglect the poor. No merciful person could just pass by those who are in need without having sympathy or pass by those who are suffering without offering any sort of help. Several years ago, a few researchers had gone to the campus of a certain seminary to find out if those that were preparing for the ministry had the qualities of the Good Samaritan. Now we're familiar with that story. And these, were, these researchers, they met with a number of individual seminary students and they recorded the interviews that they had with them individually and they conducted the interview while walking along a pathway there on the campus. And the reporter would ask various questions about the individual's specific area of study, what they anticipated to do following graduation, what concerns they may even have about their future. And then the reporter would ask each of the students to tell them the story of the Good Samaritan as they're walking along this path. So they go through all the questions, and each of the students are then asked to tell the story. And the students didn't realize this, is that the reporter had actually hired an actor to help with this particular study, and this actor would receive a cue from the reporter once the student was about to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, and the actor was dressed in just absolute rags. He was looking completely disheveled. He was covered in filth from head to toe. He had scrapes on his head and scrapes on his arms, looking like he had been beaten, and he would even groan and slumped to the ground on the path in front of them as they're walking and having this interview. More than half of the students, as they told the story of the Good Samaritan, they walked right by the man without so much acknowledging him. Some even stepped over the man as they're telling the story of the Good Samaritan. This is at a, this is at a seminary. People supposedly getting ready for the ministry. I wish I could tell you that that was a made-up story, but sadly it's true. Listen to what the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. 1 John three seventeen. It says, But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Those who are truly merciful will be considerate of the poor and of the less fortunate. Their own comforts will make them think of others and how they can be a blessing to others. They, The, the truly merciful, they don't just speak about helping others. They do it. And you know what? They do it joyfully, not grudgingly, not complaining, oh, I have to do this because God says I need to do this. They're joyfully doing this. When they help others, they don't complain. They, they don't make others feel guilty or ashamed that they're offering help. You have no idea the effort that I'm going through to help you with it. They don't do anything like that. They joyfully help out and cheerfully offer assistance to people that are in need without any sort of strings attached, expecting nothing in return. When we think of the story of the Good Samaritan, it's quite evident that even though the Samaritan is the one that showed kindness to someone in need, the Samaritan is the one who actually got more out of the situation than the man that was beaten and left for dead. Think about it. The poor man, he, he, not that he didn't get any help at all, but he received help. He re, the Bible says he received a little oil, a little wine. Then the, the man, you know, bound up, his, bound up his, 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 the guy's wounds, covered him up. He gave him some money to go to the inn and to cover all of the expenses at the end, which was certainly a great blessing. But think about it. The Samaritan is the focal point of that story. He's the one that everyone remembers at the end of the day. He's the one that we've coined a term from and we're still using today. Certainly, his act of kindness was not done to make a name for himself, but it's often the case that an act of kindness gets the attention of others and motivates others to do the same. So when you think about it, it was a rather simple investment, which, you know, how much did it cost that man? to bind up the wounds of this man who'd been le- left over dead, and then to bring him to an inn, and to you know, put some money in and just take care of whatever needs he's gonna have for the rest of his day. And it wasn't that much of an investment, but those, that little investment paid dividends. And this is why Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So being merciful includes showing kindness to those that are in need. Being merciful also includes showing compassion for those who mourn. Being merciful includes showing compassion for those who mourn. The worst malady in the world is not poverty, but a depressed spirit. A depressed spirit. Depression strikes regardless of a person's position, wealth, prominence, age, health, or anything else that you can think of. Some people suffer from short seasons of depression while others endure prolonged seasons of depression to the point where moments of levity actually bring them grief. And as strange as it sounds, I've seen and known people who have dealt with such great and prolonged depression that it actually begins to feel normal for them. It's, you know, like the cartoons where there's a cloud that would follow certain characters and there's a rain cloud and just, you know, dark and stormy. Everywhere they go, they move over here and the cloud follows them. I've known people who, their lot in life is to always be under that overclass, overcast cloud. No matter where they go, they're always dealing with one problem after the next to the point where when they have no problems, they're uncomfortable. They don't even know what to do. They're almost more comfortable when there's all sorts of chaos around them and they're feeling depressed. And and this is believers. Many believers struggle with depression and what's sad is that these are people we sadly often do everything to avoid, isn't it? We don't like talking with people who are depressed because it makes us feel depressed. No matter the circumstances, they always have something negative to say. They're always critical of every little thing that happens. And it's just something that we don't wanna hear, we don't wanna be around. Sometimes we want to tell these people just to stop thinking about all the negatives. But it's like telling someone with a headache, stop giving in to your headache. If only that would work. The merciful believer doesn't try to fix everyone's problems by telling them what they need to do. He'll start by showing compassion to them. Even if he knows that at times their concerns are foolish. He doesn't avoid these people, but he seeks them out to be a comfort to them. As it says in Isaiah 35, verse 3, it says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. The merciful believer understands the command of God from Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, which states, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. The believer understands this and he does it. The merciful person understands that Christ sought out that which was wounded. That he bound up that which was broken. That he healed those that were sick. And that he brought in those who were driven away. The merciful person understands that just as his master has done, so should he. If you've learned anything from the Lord, it is that he constantly showed compassion and mercy for those who mourn. Being merciful includes showing compassion for those who mourn. But being merciful also includes showing forgiveness. Being merciful also includes showing forgiveness. There are some people who take everything as a personal attack, whether it's intentional or unintentional. They hold on to bitterness and they refuse to offer forgiveness. In church, in our homes, in every situation, there are always going to be issues. There are always going to be disagreements. There are always going to be quarrels. If we're harboring bitterness over everything that is done, we're not only going to be miserable, but we're going to ruin every relationship that we've ever had. As believers, we must always be ready to forgive. Because based on how each and every one of us have been forgiven, we should be the last ones harboring unkind thoughts towards others. Some of us have a lot... a lot of work to do on this area, because offering forgiveness is just not who we are. Let me just remind you of what it says in Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I promise you, I promise you, that you have been far worse to God than what anyone has been towards you. And God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. What gives any of us the right to not offer forgiveness to someone that has wronged us? Oh, but pastor, you're saying, you don't know what they said about me. (laughs) If someone spoke ill of you, even if it offended you or didn't offend you, I promise you, you're actually worse off than how they described you. And I'm not speaking ill of any of you, but I promise you, you're worse off than the worst characterization that someone can ever make of you. The worst thing that people could say about us doesn't come close to describing just how offensive we have been to God. And yet, he's forgiven all of it. It may be tough for us to let things go, but when you're feeling offended, when you're feeling slighted, just remind yourself of how God has forgiven you. Some of us hold on to bitterness so tight almost insisting that God was too quick to forgive this person and that his bar for forgiveness is just far too low. His standard should be much higher because that's where my standard is. So God, meet me up here. Trust me, you don't want that. Because if his standard was up here where your standard is, none of us would ever be forgiven. The, the rate at which we hang on to bitterness and don't forgive is a scary thing. Trust me, none of us have a clue of how high God's bar is. You think that sometimes your your, your bar of measuring that is, is higher than God's, but trust me, seeing that it took the perfect, spotless, sinless, holy Lamb of God to die in our place to take away our sins, trust me, none of us realize the true measuring stick of what it took to offer our forgiveness. So remind yourself of what Christ endured to make it possible for you to have forgiveness and then start showing that to others. Being merciful includes showing forgiveness. Being merciful also includes caring for the worst of men. Being merciful also includes caring for the worst of men. When Jesus called Matthew to follow him, he would end up going to his house and having a meal with him. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 15. He is dining at the table and in the home of Matthew. And it says in Mark 2 15, it says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. So the Bible right there describes several groups of people uh, there in that verse publicans, sinners, and disciples. Were they not all sinners? Were they not all sinners? I mean, who can be classified there and not be also called a sinner? But it makes a clear distinction. Publicans, sinners, and the disciples were there. So three different groups of people. Now, it's not saying that there's only one group that were actually sinful, but when it talks about these people as sinners, they were the most notorious sinners. These are the, the worst of the worst, if you want to call it, and look at it that way. These were the people that everyone else compared themselves to to make themselves feel better. At least I'm not as bad as that person. These great sinners are the ones that are making headlines. These are the ones that are robbing banks. These are the ones that are committing the the high crimes that are making the front pages of the newspapers. And these are the people that Christ is seen eating with. Again, in Mark 2, 15, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. These were the people that were there. And Jesus is there eating with them. In Luke chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, we read about another occasion where Jesus was eating in the house of a Pharisee this time and is met by another well-known sinner. It says in Luke 37-39, Luke 7, 37-39, it says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, again, everyone's a sinner, but this woman was notorious, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, "This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." Now, the Pharisee is thinking all this. Jesus would end up responding to him, knowing his thoughts. But he's thinking this. The Pharisee is who's invited Jesus into his home, and he's thinking, "If he really is a prophet, he know." Who this woman is, and would have nothing to do with her. And of course, Jesus knew exactly who the woman was, and what she was known for. And that's the point. Jesus cared for those that are labeled the worst of the worst, the most notorious sinners, and so should the merciful believer. We should never treat others as if they are beneath us, but we should be gladly, and glad rather, about the opportunity of bringing the most notorious sinners to a saving knowledge of Christ. Isn't that what we're called to do? Being merciful includes caring for the worst of sinners. Being merciful also includes having a burden for souls. Being merciful includes having a burden for souls. We all are very familiar with what it says in Romans chapter three, but I want you to listen to verses 10 through 12 because the merciful believer knows what these words mean in Romans three ten through 12, where it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The merciful person desires that all would come to a saving knowledge of Christ and has a great burden to be that instrument to deliver God's message to those that need it. The merciful person, he'll pray for the unsaved as much as they are able and they are striving to win souls for Christ. He pleads for the unsaved. He implores them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and dedicates time to tell people of the way to salvation. The merciful believer, in short, is an ambassador for Christ. And he makes soul winning one of his greatest delights. For he considers it a true joy if through the help of the Holy Spirit he might be able to have a small part in a person's eternity by showing them the way of salvation. His desire is that not one single person end up in hell not being prayed for and not being witnessed to. If hell must be filled, the merciful believer strives to make sure that any person that's going to be there must have to go through him first. He cares for the unsaved. Being merciful also includes protecting the character of others. Being merciful also includes protecting the character of others. The merciful believer will not slander the character of a fellow believer, but will have confidence in the character of fellow believers until it is proven otherwise. Now, we could really use more of this mindset in our churches. So many sorrows and so much strife could be avoided if we had more confidence in the character of each of our fellow believers. Some of us are so ready to hear gossip that we believe every negative word that is spoken about another person in church. There would be less slanderers if there were less people who listened to such nonsense. Those who are prone to gossip would be compelled to just give it all up as no one wants to hear what they have to say. But even if you were compelled to believe something negative that was told you about someone else in church, a fellow believer, I pray that you would be merciful enough not to repeat it. There are definitely some occasions where we must deal with a matter properly. But much of what can be communicated about others is stuff that doesn't need to be published. our goal shouldn't be to only see the worst in people and to always find a way to point out their faults. We'll do this even to people who are doing good around the church as we point out that they have a strange way about going about the service for God. You know what? The church is made up of a group of imperfect people, and we're all a little weird in our own way, some of us more than others. But why be so quick to point out all of our flaws, especially when we're serving the Lord the best that we can. Do we look up at the sun and do we say, you know, the sun does a really good job of of giving off light, but you know, there are some spots up there. Seriously, do we have to be so negative that we'll always find a fault in everything? There are so many faithful and diligent believers that are serving the Lord in so many areas. And you know what? Every single one of them have flaws. Every single one of them are imperfect. Every single one of them are dealing with problems. And rather than focusing on all the faults and all the failures and all the flaws of a believer's character, focus on the bright side, that they're serving the Lord with the gifts and talents that God has equipped them with. Being merciful includes protecting the character of others. So we've seen who the merciful are. We've seen what it includes. But notice third, I want you to notice the promised blessing. Look again at what it says there in verse number 7 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. They shall obtain mercy. Now, even though it seems that this is a future blessing, I believe that there is a present blessing in this as well. There are certain blessings that we receive from God now that we don't always see because they're often overshadowed by other blessings. When you look up into the daytime sky, don't stare directly at the sun, but just looking up into the daytime sky, are you generally able to see the stars? Probably not. Does that mean that they're not there? Of course not. The stars are always there and they're always shining just as bright in the daytime as they are in the middle of the night. They just can't be seen in the daytime because of the immense light that is given off by the sun. There are so many blessings that we have from God today that we don't always see because we're focused on just a few of them that happen to be shining a bit brighter. I firmly believe that when a believer who has been merciful according to what God has instructed here finds himself in a situation where he needs the Lord's mercy, that he can call on the Lord and expect the Lord to be merciful unto him. I believe that God continually blesses in in temporal as well as earthly matters those believers who make it a point to demonstrate the spirit of mercy to others. Again, it may not appear as a big giant blessing like the sun shining in the middle of the day, But it is still a blessing, even if it's a single star that is shining. What we find to be true is that those who are merciful, they receive mercy from others. Jesus said in in Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. The more you're merciful, he says, the more you'll be rewarded with that. People tend to reciprocate reciprocate what you show forth to them. A merciful spirit is one that is contagious. Some people go through life showing no mercy at all. And then when trouble finds them, guess what? There are few people around to show them pity and compassion because they've made it a point to not show mercy to anyone. And guess what? No one wants to show them mercy in return but it's quite the opposite with the merciful person. For when he comes into trouble and when he faces hardship, people flock to that person's aid. We see this idea of the merciful spirit evidenced in a man named Onesiphorus. And listen to what we read about him in 2 Timothy chapter one and verses 16 and 18. 2 Timothy one, 16 and 18. The Bible says, "The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And then, in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. What a great way to be known and mentioned in Scripture!" Apostle Paul says, he sought me out very diligently and found me. This man was a picture of pity compassion and mercy. He says, I pray that the Lord would grant him mercy. There's a specific data he's talking about. I'm not going to get into all the context now. But he says, he ministered unto me in Ephesus so much so that others are well aware of this man's mercy. In no way am I saying that you should be merciful for the purpose of trying to get rewarded but rather be merciful as an evidence of the grace of God in your life. Being merciful is one of the best ways that we resemble our Savior. Being merciful is the evidence that we love God and are seeking to be an instrument to lead others to love God as well. So, know mercy, K-N-O-W. Know mercy and be known for being merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we need, uh, I needed. Lord, it's, it's not always our natural or even our first inclination, Lord, to show mercy. But Lord, you have demonstrated far more mercy than what should have ever been demonstrated. And Lord, by... By definition, mercy is just that. It's it's undeserved. Lord, what we should have received, you did not give. And we are truly so thankful for that. And Lord, I pray that we would learn a lesson or two about what it means to truly be merciful. For there's always something for us to learn. Lord, in every area and every walk of life, mercy is a quality that each believer needs. And as we are making our way up this ladder of spiritual maturity. Lord, I pray that in all the other areas that we've demonstrated Christ-like qualities, that mercy would be the byproduct that shows forth who we are with you and demonstrates, Lord, that we are a child of God to the rest of the world. Grant us your peace. May we be known for being merciful to the rest of the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.